Good morning, Highland. In the light of Resurrection uh, Sunday, last Sunday, we can indeed celebrate and we can rejoice that we have been redeemed from a debt that we could never pay. And we're walking in the light of that salvation. The text this morning is, is going to be from uh, the 10th uh, chapter of Acts. And it, as I was preparing for that, I was reminded of a story several years ago. We were, as a family, preparing to go somewhere, and we were in a little bit of a rush, and somehow the door closed and locked behind us, and our car keys and our house keys were inside the house. So, as you can imagine, we had a little family meeting out on the driveway, some intense discussion on the root cause of how this happened, right? And after we got through that, we started looking for a solution. Well, we managed to find, on the first floor, there was one window, one of those crank-out windows that was open just a little bit. The smallest child who we were confident would be able to get inside and work the door lock and let us all in uh, volunteered for a special mission, although honestly they weren't aware that they were volunteering for this at the time. What we discovered was that a small boy can fit through a crack that's no wider than their head turned sideways. So they will, in fact, fit through an opening that big, and that's all we had. So after feeding our volunteer through that little opening, I think it was Nathan, I apologize to him as I was preparing this message, we dropped him safely on the other side of the window. He was able to go in and let us, let us in, and, and our problem was solved. But it reminded me that exercise of trying to penetrate that barrier of the locked house reminded me of this message that we're going to be looking at today. So I want to give you a little bit of background of where we're at. We're going to be in Acts chapter 10 and 11. And I have some highlights that I'm going to show up uh, on the screen. But it may be very useful if you want to follow along on a Bible or your phone or whatever because I'm going to be skipping a number of verses. And it might just be easier for you to follow if you're following it yourself. So here's where, we at, where we're at. Jesus' resurrection was in about 30 A.D., okay, 30 A.D. Stephen was martyred in 34 A.D., four years later. Saul is converted. The church has peace. Now we're in 39 A.D., nine years after the resurrection, this this series of events takes place. So just keep that in mind. Nine years, the church has grown and the gospel has not been preached to the Gentiles. That's the scenario we find ourselves in. Simon Peter had just been called to Joppa and he had just raised Tabitha back to life. And after that, they had asked him to stay with them and he stayed many days uh, with one Simon, a tanner. And that's where we pick up our story. So starting in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously, generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Now, Cornelius was a Gentile, but he was following God. He was not circumcised. He was not welcome into the Jewish community, but he was a follower of God. Jumping down to verse 5. Cornelius has an angel appear to him and speak to him. 
And the angel says this, And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So that's Cornelius' experience. Now we're going to jump down um, to verse uh, 11 to Peter, who is in Joppa. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. He goes up onto the roof about noon that day. He falls into a trance. In the trance, he sees a vision. Peter saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So as Peter's having this vision, the men that were sent by Cornelius are arriving in Joppa. Joppa is about 45 miles away. It's like from here to St. Cloud. They were probably walking. Um, so this is the next day. Um, as those three men are at the gate, we pick up in verse 19. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter and a group of the believing Jews leave Joppa. They travel back with the men that, that um, Cornelius had sent, and they go to Caesarea. Peter enters the house of Cornelius, who is a Gentile, and, and Cornelius has gathered a whole bunch of other people in the house with him. So Peter walks in, and in verse 27, as, as Peter talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So I want to pause here just for a minute and just explain a little bit about this environment that Cornelius and Peter were in. So there were traditions that had been established by the elders. They were old oral traditions that were eventually written down. Uh, the first time they were written down was in the year about 200, but that, that was the writing of the traditions that would have been in place at the time of Jesus and even before Jesus. Eventually, those writings came to include as many as 613 commandments that the religious leaders put in place to explain the Torah. And part of their reasoning was that the Torah was insufficient for them to really know how to live. So, for example, keeping the Sabbath. That's what the law said. And they said, and, and God said, don't do any work on the Sabbath. So they knew that carrying something around is probably work, but they didn't know, well, how much weight can you actually carry around and still keep the Sabbath? Is, is, is one pound okay and two pound not okay? And that was the sort of the traditions that were developed. It was all these details about how to live out the Torah. But it was the interpretation of the teachers at the time. And in that time, uh, there were three groups of people, according to the Jews. There were the Jews, the descendants of the house of Judah. There were the Samaritans, who were the, the interracial 
people of the old northern kingdom that were comprised of a mix of Jews and Gentiles that had been that way for many, many, many years. Uh, and then there were the Gentiles, which was basically everyone else. So from a Jewish perspective, you were either Jewish, the, are the sort of the um, second cousin Samaritans that they didn't want to deal with, uh, and then the entire rest of the world. Now, in thinking about these traditions, God had in fact told the children of Israel, as they were preparing to go into the promised land, I'm going to drive out six nations before you. You're not to have anything to do with them. Don't make any covenants with them. Don't intermarry with them because they're going to carry you away into idolatry. Exodus 34 says, You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. That's specifically what God told them. But it was for those six nations God also made provision for those that weren't Jewish. In Leviticus 19, he says this, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So God had made provision for the strangers, and the difference between the stranger that's sojourning in the land and those that God told them to stay away from was that the sojourners were no longer practicing idolatry. They were not practicing their way of former way of life. And God said, you are to love them as yourself. Now, the, some of the interpretations that the rabbis would have of these rabbinic traditions that were layered over on top of those laws would include things like this. They would say, that any reference in the law to your fellow or your neighbor would only refer to your fellow Israelite. It did not apply to Gentiles. Therefore, um, you were to treat Gentiles completely different than someone who was your neighbor. In Exodus 34, there's a passage that reads this. Thus shall they know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, even the house of Israel, are my people, saith the Lord God. And ye, my flock, the flock of my pasture, are men, and I am your God, saith the Lord God. The interpretation of that was that it was only the flock of Israel that were men. That word was Adam. That means formed in the image and likeness of God. The interpretation was if you weren't of the family of Israel, the flock of Israel, you were less than human. You were not made in the image of God. And so the, the traditions then said, you're going to treat Gentiles the same way you would treat an animal or anything else that wasn't even human. And so there were dozens and dozens of laws then, rules, that were created that said, this is how you treat Gentiles. Not from God's law, but from all the traditions. In fact, when Peter said that it was unlawful for... Um, for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, the Jewish translation of that New Testament would render it this way. You know that it is how it is just not done for a Jew to associate with anyone. It wasn't against the law of Moses. It was just religiously and culturally never done. But it was not God's plan. Jews were prohibited from acts of mercy towards Gentiles. The Jews could not walk with Gentiles or enter an enclosed space with a Gentile to avoid being attacked because, of course, as everyone knows, 
Gentiles are murderous idolaters and you're risking your life. In fact, that's probably why the believing Jews went with Peter and accompanying them back to Caesarea, which was a long walk, because they were in fear for their life for Peter. Because he was going with Gentiles who would likely kill him or murder him. All these rules and laws had the effect at that time of building these these tall, strong walls around people. They were built around the Gentiles to keep the Gentiles out, and they built walls around themselves to keep everyone else, the Jews, safely inside and everyone else out. That was the effect. And what was happening is that it was an absolute wall to the presentation of the gospel. For nine years... The gospel had been known by the Jews and the Gentiles hadn't been included. It was basically a national cancel culture and the Gentiles were always on the canceled side of those transactions. And that history had been like that for many, many, many years. And we see a trend as well, do we not? If you... If you're looking on social media or the news or anywhere, we just see these walls being thrown up around people and labels being put on people, uh, judgment of all kinds of things, race, economic status, your heritage, politics, opinions. As Dean mentioned last week, a mistake that you had made, um, walls and labels get put up around people. How are these walls getting put together? Where are they coming from? What's the source of them? Well, we need to go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The serpent tempts Eve with the apple in the garden. And they have this interaction back and forth. And at the end, The serpent replies, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent told him three things. The serpent built that wall, and on the wall was written, closed eyes, not like God, ignorant of good and evil. And he hung those labels on Adam and Eve, and they were not even aware of those labels before the enemy tempted them. And they used, the, the, the enemy, Satan, used those, that sin of Adam and Eve to create this wall, and that wall created envy and jealousy, and you see what that separation did between Adam and Eve and God in the garden, where sin entered the world. And it was our enemy that was building that wall, and it's the same enemy that we've got today building these walls, regardless of how people act and the things people say, people are not our enemy. Ephesians 6 says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Satan is the one that is behind building walls to keep people separate. How did Jesus confront these walls? We're going to take a look at a couple of examples here. Jesus did not pick away at the hundreds and hundreds of bricks that made up these walls that were separating people. That wasn't his approach. He went right to the foundation. We're going to take a look at one of them now. uh, And and listen as he, instead of focusing on the bricks, all the different rules, he focused on 
people and their relationship with God and what was true about that. So in Luke chapter 10, uh, a lawyer comes up to Jesus. It says, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Sounds familiar from Leviticus, right? That's what God told them, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, I often thought, what did that mean, seeking to justify himself? Was he trying to just prove how smart he was, that he could answer, ask a good follow-up question? Or what, what, what was he trying to justify? Well, that question, who is my neighbor, was a foundational pillar of those rules, right? The elders said that your neighbor is a fellow Israelite. A Gentile is not. As far as they were concerned, the correct answer for Jesus to give at that point, and you know, just imagine the crowds gathering around to listen to this, right? The correct answer would have been, well, of course, only another Israelite is your neighbor. The Gentile is not. That's the right answer from the religious leader's perspective. But that's not what Jesus did. So he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he uses three examples, right? He uses a Levite, a priest, and a Samaritan that were hated by the Jews. He gets to the end of that story, how the Samaritan was the one that uh, helped that, that man. And Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, it's interesting. There's only three answers. It's the Levite, it's the priest, or it's the Samaritan. But, but the lawyer can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. How does he answer Jesus? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. He went right to the foundation of the wall and focused on God and his relationship to people. You can also find examples of how Jesus confronted that in Matthew 15, 11. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Dozens and dozens of rules about what to eat or what not to eat or when to eat it or with who to eat it, gone, right? It's not about what goes into the mouth that defiles you. It's about what comes out. So again, Jesus is attacking the root, the foundation. In Acts 2.21, a resurrected Jesus says this, and, I shall come to, it, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. The Jews didn't even have a concept of everyone. There was the Jews and there was everyone else. So Jesus attacked that foundation as well. So our first point to this morning the Holy Spirit is going to compel you to bring the gospel to those that you do not like and those who do not like you if we're walking by the Spirit. You think of all the religious traditions that were present in that situation and the animosity that that created and all those relationships where people were not in fellowship and were not relating to one another. And the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see, is going to compel Peter to bring the gospel to those people that he does not want to talk to. Don't get hung up on the bricks in the wall when the Holy Spirit compels you to go to share someone with someone. 
focus on the truth of the word of God. Satan knows that you are an ambassador for Christ, carrying the light of the gospel that can set a person free from sin and death. He will work very hard to make those interactions very uncomfortable for you. Peter had to overcome an entire lifetime of walls of separation and prejudice. Cornelius had to reach out to those who he knew would reject him. Now let me ask you this morning, is there someone that's in your orbit of relationships that your life comes into contact with that is putting you in an uncomfortable situation? You're, you're just not comfortable interacting with, person, with this person, and yet, and yet you're, God has put you in the same circles somehow. Let's get back to our story, Acts 29. So what has happened here is Peter is, is at Cornelius' house. He explains the whole situation of his vision, and he says in 29, So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why you sent for me? Cornelius then goes on to describe his experience, how the angel had come to it said, send for Simon, who's staying at Simon the Tanner's house, and he'll tell you what you need to do. Isn't it amazing now that the Holy Spirit works from both sides of that wall? The Holy Spirit is a ladder that's reaching over the walls, and it works from both sides. He is calling us as bearers of the gospel to go to the people who are behind those walls, the, those people that we're uncomfortable with, those people that, that we're separated from. The Holy Spirit is also working on the other side of the wall, drawing people to himself, whether it's drawing people who are behind a wall that are separated by their own sin and guilt, don't understand that they're not in a right relationship with God and they don't know where to go, but the Holy Spirit is pulling them, drawing them, and maybe he's drawing them to you because they see something in you that's different. But the Holy Spirit, Spirit is at work on both sides of that wall. Peter and Cornelius were both drawn or directed towards that meeting. Now, the Holy Spirit is going to give us what we need for that situation that he brings us to. If you're given strength or courage, act in that thing require, that requires strength or courage. If you're given wisdom or knowledge, speak into that situation that requires wisdom or knowledge. The Holy Spirit is like a, is like a ladder next to this wall. It gives us the things that we need to be able to bridge that gap. Not acting or not speaking in those situations is like leaving a ladder laying on the ground next to the wall wondering, huh, how am I going to reach over with the ladder laying right in front of you? He might not break down that wall, but he might, he, we will give you a ladder. So let's go on in Acts 10, 34. So in response to what Cornelius tells him, his experience was, Peter says this. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He then goes on to explain how he has heard of what all that Jesus did and how they were called to be witnesses of them. And he, in 42, he concludes with this. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
the power of the gospel. That brief sentence is the power of the gospel. Jesus, the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead, of whom all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. The gospel has the power to completely change a person from death to life, from darkness to light, from captivity to liberty. And this message is the message that the enemy desperately wants to keep behind walls. Last Sunday, Pastor Dean presented an opportunity to respond to the gospel with some questions. And as Carrie already mentioned, there were 15 people that said, I made a decision to accept and follow Christ. And there were 13 additional people that said, I want to take the next step and be baptized. Now, maybe, maybe some of you are here this morning who did that. Maybe you heard that and didn't act on it last week, but God has been tugging and pulling and acting in your life this week. If that's you, would you just reach out? Just use a connection card. It's in the bulletin. There are connection cards out, uh, out back um, beyond the doors. And just let us know. I want to talk to someone about faith. That's like the Holy Spirit with a ladder leaning up against that wall that you finally recognize is going somewhere that you never dreamed you could go, of calling you into a relationship with God. And you may have taken that first step. We want to come alongside you and help in that process and help you on that ladder the Holy Spirit has provided for you. So let's see what happens next. Acts 10, verse 44. So Peter shares the gospel, that simple statement, right? Cornelius and all of his uh, uh, family and friends are listening to it. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. The power of the gospel unleashed in, in a life. And we see the results of that. Now this happened in, in really an amazingly perfect way. Considering what was going on, for nine years, the gospel had been preached, but not to the Gentiles. Can you imagine if Peter, instead of this happening the way God did this, if Peter had put his hand on Cornelius and prayed that he would receive the Holy Spirit, what would the argument have been? Peter, what were you thinking? You let Jesus out and gave him away to the Gentiles. Why did you do that? It was your prerogative. You took the initiative. You took action and prayed for them to be saved. But that's not what happened. It was completely out of Peter's control. All Peter was was obedient to the, the, the request of the Spirit. So here's where this becomes important. We're going to go all the way to Acts 11. And I want to give you just a little bit of story, backstory here. So that happened in the year 39. Some timelines put this next event at maybe as much as a year later. Peter goes up to Jerusalem. <clears throat> now, Acts 11, verse 1. Now the apostles, the little a apostles, and the brothers who were there throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. They didn't hear it from Peter. 
they heard it from someone else. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. And then Peter begins to explain everything in order. Now, just think about that for a minute. Peter witnesses this unfold before his very eyes. He's in Joppa. He's 40 miles away from Jerusalem. It does not appear from the text that the first thing he did was go up to the leadership in Jerusalem and say, hey, guys, we got to rethink this plan. We need an outreach ministry to the Gentiles. It doesn't seem like that's what happened. It seems like somehow someone found out and heard from someone, and that word got back to Jerusalem well ahead of Peter, and there was resistance that had already formed knowing what uh, that story was. So when Peter walks into that, he's confronted with this. And Peter responds in this way. And he explained it to them. He explains his vision and what happened to him. He explains the vision that Cornelius had. He explains what happened uh, at Cornelius' house. And we pick it up at Acts 11, verse 15. As I began to speak... The Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of God, and I remember the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. There's a breakthrough moment for the church, and we are beneficiaries of that breakthrough. The gospel has the ability to tear down walls that we have put up. We have walls, even in our own life, that keep us separated from people. Perceptions and attitudes, the gospel can change that when we understand and we have God's heart for what other people are. And it becomes very difficult for us to maintain some of those old prejudices when we understand what God has done for us. So the gospel can remove walls that have been put up. So we have been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. That transforms how we see people. The Jewish followers of Jesus now knew that God had granted the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. That's very, very important. So when you think about it, I now recognize they have received the Holy Spirit. They're just like me. Well, if they're now my neighbor, how can I hate them? If they are now human, how can I keep them separate? If they receive the Holy Spirit just as I have, how can we not be in fellowship together? Sometimes those walls don't come down. Today, it seems that uh, more people than ever are reading the, the Jewish Talmud, the list of 600 rules in Judaism. So Jesus, even though he attacked the root of those foundations and really destroyed the foundations of those rules, the walls are still standing. There's still walls of separation, and they are, these walls are persistent. I'll give you an example of that. In the book of Galatians, about nine years after this happened, Peter is with Paul in Antioch, and Paul is recording this. And Peter is meeting and, and uh, uh, eating with and fellowshipping with Gentile believers. And then Jewish believers come to Antioch, 
And Peter steps back and separates himself and then no longer eats with the Gentiles and only with the Jews. And remember, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because what he was doing was not right. This is the same guy. This is the same guy we read about this morning that saw this miraculous intervention of God showing him a lesson. How much more clear would God need to be? Peter, the Gentiles are receiving repentance unto life. They're receiving the Holy Spirit. Ten years later, he's back to the same old thing. These walls are persistent. This is hard work. We may not see the walls that are being built up around us today come down until Jesus returns. But remember this, the gospel is not about the walls. The gospel is for the souls that are separated from God by sin. That is what the gospel is for. And if there's a wall before you, the Holy Spirit's going to give you a ladder. God continues to call people unto himself. And he uses believers who are willing to climb ladders and reach over the wall with the gospel. So I'll ask you a final question here in thinking about this. What wall has God placed next to you? What circle of people are you in that there's just this separation? Maybe it's a separation between they're, they're, they're not a believer. Maybe they are a believer and there's just something between you. What wall is it that God has placed you next to? And what ladder is the Holy Spirit giving you to reach over that wall? At this point, I want to uh, share something with you. Um, that concludes sort of our message this morning about walls and ladders. Uh, but I want to share with you a celebration here, um, and I'm going to have the ushers prepare. Um, the search committee has made a recommendation to the elders to proceed with a candidating weekend with a senior pastor candidate. And I'm pleased to announce this morning that that weekend is going to be April 22nd through the 25th. Not next week, not next Sunday, next weekend, but the weekend after. Okay? So they're handing out to you uh, a flyer that gives a little bit of biography against, uh, about the person that we're selecting to candidate with us. Uh, and also some information on why the search committee feels that this is the right person for us. The ushers are handing that out now. Um, we want to just get that into your hands as quickly as we can. There's going to be a lot of information coming over the next week or so as that schedule gets finalized. We want to give you plenty of opportunity to meet with the candidate and get to know them. He will be preaching on two services on that Sunday, the 25th. And we're asking members, if you could think about your calendar now, members, if you could plan on attending the second service, we're going to have an extended question and answer time after that for you to get to know uh, the candidate. You can sure come to the early service. There'll be a brief introduction that, that he'll, of himself that he'll be able to make, but it's not going to give you the exposure that really the search committee would like to, you to have as you consider uh, this candidate. So you're certainly welcome to come to the early service and then come back, but we really would like to get you here for that event immediately after the second service on the 25th, Sunday the 25th. So I'll call the worship team up now as we close our sermon, and they're just finishing out handing out the, the flyers. 
just be watching the communication. Watch for emails, and there'll be an announcement in the bulletin next Sunday. If you're not connected to emails and you're not getting emails or text messages, you can just scan that Get Connected card, and we can get uh, information in there, and you can get all the updates and the information. There'll be a lot of things that are happening. We're very excited. When you think about what God is doing in our midst, so we had 460 people here worshiping on Easter Sunday last week. We had 15 people give their life to Christ on Sunday and 13 more that want to be baptized. We have a senior pastor candidate that is that the search committee is very excited about presenting to you as a congregation. We, we just give glory to God for what he is doing. So please, let's, let's, uh, let's worship.